a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. But how, how can you judge on video nasty? Oh, you've seen one. I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. It's the Video Nasties podcast. My name's Christopher Brown. So, Naked Fist from 1981 is also known as Firecracker. And it was sold as the world's first erotic kung fu classic. Now, those that managed to uh, get hold of a copy of, uh, of Naked Fist will spot a couple of potential errors in that description. One... It you would struggle to call the film erotic, and two, it is probably not, in fact, a kung fu classic. Instead, what it is is a, a film from a period of cinema history, uh, which is actually covered in Machete Maidens, uh, the documentary, I think, from uh, twenty twelve, which is uh, about a period of time when uh, Roger Corman was able to pump money into the Philippines uh, film industry and make cash, make films cheaply using their uh, great talent that's over there. So there was, at that point, a lot of films that were female-led, which is interesting, which I think is why that documentary exists. And also um, very exotic, normally, to mask the fact that they're blatantly not in, like, New York. Naked Fist is looks like and feels like a, a film that had come before from 1974 called TNT Jackson. In fact, it shares, shares the same concept and story. A woman travels over, she's a, a fighting expert, to Hong Kong, takes on the mafia to understand what has happened to her sister who's gone missing. And she infiltrates the gang, kicks ass, and takes names in what is a fairly short time. Naked fist, a hundred luscious pounds of TNT. Seduction with destruction in the screen's first erotic kung fu classic.
remember, you've got a date to detonate with the naked fist. Watch her explode. Naked fist. She'll blow you away. So in the film itself, it's... Um... At its heart is a central performance, which is uh, kind of the reason why uh, it might be interesting to hear from uh, Gillian Kashner Graver, uh, who's uh, titled in this as Gillian uh, uh, Kashner. Uh, she is, uh, although sold as a six times black belt and an Olympic champion, the, the film itself makes a lot of effort to kind of mask some of her possible shortcomings. Pro- biggest issue with this kind of thing is if you go and see a kung fu movie, you want the the central character, of course, to be really fucking good at fighting. Or martial arts movie, I should say. You really want them to be really great at fighting. And unfortunately, um, well, or fortunately for her, Gillian has a lot of people around her that help her kind of perform and do well. She's actually really, to be fair, famous for playing Fonzie's girlfriend in Happy Days Lorraine. But um, she did appear in a number of uh, B-movies in the 70s and 80s, including films like uh, Raw Force and Moon to Scorpio. She also made the money from appearing in the kinds of TV programs you would expect. Freeze Company, The Rockford Files, Mork and Mindy, one of numerous actors at that point that... um, made their cash from, you know, bit part playing and appearing in different things and utilising their, 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 their limited but, but notable fame. Um, Sadly, she died aged 58 of leukaemia in 2007. The film exists as it does, and we said it's uh, heavily influenced, and I mean heavily influenced, by um, TNT Jackson. It's because the film is created by a director who is very famous for being kind of a linchpin of this burgeoning Filipino film industry. Circo H and Santiago. In the 1970s, this is where he kind of made his name, uh, certainly for, for TNT Jackson, for this as well. And, you know... Potentially also known for The Big Bird Cage, which is a Pangria uh, vessel, and um, with, uh, The Big Doll House as well, which is their, you know, women in, women in prison exploitation films. Tarantino uh, counts Santiago as one of his, um, his influences uh, when he was making. Um, Kill Bill, although let's let us let's be honest. Uh, Tarantino has n- mentioned a lot of people in the past that were influences on Kill Bill and that that, that bag of uh, well, exploitation influences thrown together as it is. So it's written and directed by by Santiago, but also uh, made with uh, another guy who's very famous in. Uh, in the heart of this Filipino uh, film 
boom again which utilized cheap conditions uh poor, poorly paid staff and a, a a regime which is more than happy to uh to take american money um and let them do whatever they wanted uh ken metcalf metcalf worked as a casting agent and also uh, he worked he did casting for apocalypse now as well so uh, to give you some idea of you know the influence that he'd had in that area at that time that obviously you know he, he was the go-to guy for a u.s production looking to uh, capitalize on a filipino um incentives i suppose or, or you know whether you know thing about the apocalypse now of course is it looks beautiful and it's a wonderfully made film but you know they all went fucking mad in the jungle while we made it almost aping the uh what happens with the characters on screen anyway metcalf gives himself a limited role as one of the mafia members as well in the film the film has a, a number of uh people in it that you know you, you might recognize i suppose uh, most probably darby hinton would be a, another one who's uh, appeared in numerous director video films through through the years and is one of those guys that you look at them and kind of go oh, i've seen you in something likely to be various tv shows over the uh, over the years you know it's, it's it's one of those kind of one of those guys again one of those guys who who pops up in, in bit parts in lots of films lots of tv i should say so what do we have here? A, a, a film that is, uh, sounds, by the sounds of it, fairly generic, an unusual premise that it's an erotic movie, and uh, a film that already cribs off another film, TNT Jackson, and you would argue TNT Jackson does it a bit better as well. So what makes this film stand out? Well, when the film was delivered, Corman suggested that they add a couple more scenes to the film, um, well, two in particular, both of which were to be used to ramp up the uh, the eroticism and to make the most, shall we say, of the fact they had Gillian Kastner, who, let's be honest with you, a lot of the people buying tickets for it were not getting the tickets because she was really good at fighting, more that she looked really good in underwear. Now, what that means translates throughout the film as a whole anyway is that the majority of the fights she does, she does in her underwear, in various sorts. Um, so lots of skimpy pants and you know tight tops but there's also two scenes which are then inserted and uh, when you're watching it you can kind of see that it's being added after the fact it just looks a bit different the sets look different it's got a di it's shot slightly differently it feels bolted on anyway so Kessner is Kessner's character uh, Suzanne Carter is being chased by some thugs through and uh, she has to get away and uh, one of them grabs her dress, and her dress comes off, and she is in her underwear. She's running away, and she's fighting. She's fighting her underwear for a warehouse complex. And then, finally, somebody pulls a knife and cuts her bra off, because that's traditionally how you try and kill somebody. And, uh, you know, off comes the bra, and she completes the fight topless. Which is... What a teenager would think eroticism was, to be fair. Oh, you've got fighting. And you can see her boobs. I mean, it's literally that level. Uh, and it's it's obviously because it's... Uh, not being, I would argue possibly being rushed through as an idea that uh, 
it's been kind of thrown together. You know what I mean? It's you can just kind of see it quickly. It's um, yeah. <laughs> You're like, how does that even work? But anyway, the other one's a bit more strange. Um, so it's a sex scene between uh, Darby Hilton, his character Chuck, and Gillian uh, Kessner's uh, Suzanne, and um, they uh, they 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 are erotically. Uh, you know, it's, it's a sex scene. And Chuck pulls knives out. Now, that's traditionally when somebody pulls a knife out. I don't know about you, but I kind of think to myself, oh, this could mean violence or really quite extreme kink. Uh, not here. So he, he uses the, 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 the knives to kind of cut her clothing. And there's a lot of knife play around this sex scene. And again, it's meant to be erotic. It's meant to mingle together martial arts and, and, and sex um, and it, it's it, it's a strange thing it's a strange thing but those two scenes uh, almost certainly uh, were why the film when it was released it was released cut in the UK so it was released actually for um, a cinema in 1983 but cut by three minutes and 53 seconds. And um, this cut cinema release was actually released on pre-certificate video as well. Which is uh, possibly why it swerved the wrath of, uh, of the video nasties. But um, nonetheless, it kind of it was a section three and it did get picked up. Um, and obviously somebody at some point has, has kind of uh, thought oh my god <laughs> maybe need, we need to kind of um, plead guilty to this so, so it's been put on a section 3 list but the film itself in, in its video format effectively cuts out all that mad shit I've just described to you which let's be honest with you if you're going to go and see some, watch something like that you want the mad shit get kept in so Obviously, it's exploitation and it's exploitative. Indeed, um, you know, there's a there's a bit in that um, Machete Maidens where uh, they talk about, you know, is this empowering? Is the Big Bird Cage an empowering film, or any of those Women in Chains kind of movies empowering? It certainly features strong women front and center in its storytelling. And you could argue the same with this. It's a film about a woman who uh, is trying to find out about her, her sister and she kicks ass. Obviously, but it's so laid with the male gaze, it's like, ooh, you know. <laughs> but at its heart, yes, nonetheless, it's a, it's a powerful woman taking on a role you know, that in the 70s, let's be honest with you, would normally be done by you. A Bruce Lee kind of guy, you know what I mean? So it's like he goes to save his the, the daughter of you know the seventies and eighties are filled with these stories of strong men that go to foreign countries or foreign places, don't really understand what's going on, and the world builds around, and you know, you're, you're as an audience, you're introduced to the world through the character, and then it kicks off, and they have their revenge, and that plays out completely the same with this, in exactly the same way you would, indeed. The ending is just this really gory, violent moment of, of revenge. Uh, featuring an obvious dummy and eyeballs popping everywhere and blood everywhere. It's quite, you know, it's quite striking. You kind of, 
um, expect. You don't expect it to be quite so on the no- on the nose for its like, you know, denouncements at the end. It's a strange ending, actually, um, because uh, in the fight that he's in, she's in. Uh, she could lose numerous times. Uh, he kind of, she kind of like keeps on kind of like giving her a bit of space and letting her kind of, you know, come back into it. And she responds by that by just fucking battering him at the end. No, no, not an inch given. You know, she could have been killed like three times, but not an inch given in revenge at the end. So I'm not gonna, you know, uh, either way, kind of say, well, you know, I, I think if the actresses felt empowered by the roles they were doing, regardless of how Corman then sold it, I still think, you know, that is a feminist act. And um, you think about films like, uh, you know, Slaughterhouse, um, Slumber Party Massacre, which is now seen as being quite a, you know, a a feminist film, using... uh, Falcon imagery as you know as, as, as comments that you know the, the notorious thing the fact that, that you know, contractually they need to get nudity and so it's all front load at the start and then it goes to tell a different story um, you know at the time though that was sold just as an exploitation film of all you know tits and gore you know so th- there is an element of you know kind of giving it a bit of freedom I think to be to be its own thing, and you know, and, and let people kind of create their own narrative around what that time was like. But that's up to you, you know. I'm not going to tell you to tell you what to think about this stuff, and uh, frankly, it's uh, it's, it's not, not for me to make that much of a comment on it. Anyway, the only other thing that's really noticeable, and it's really jarring if you're a fan of the thing I'm going to talk about is the because it's been released by New Line Pictures New sorry it's been released by New World Pictures so uh, as that it features uh, you know they've obviously used other elements so the year after they've released Shogun Assassin which did really well they've picked up and taken the sound completely wholesale the soundtrack from Shogun Assassin and used it for this. Now, while that soundtrack in Shogun Assassin adds a kind of dreamy, trippy, kind of modern, but it's not modern, kind of coolness to the film, on this, it makes it feel... It's really... Because just, you're just like, why, why are they playing you know, the, the Lone Wolf theme? Why is that happening? It just seems really an odd choice. Uh, but obviously, you know, the reason for that is that A, it's a fucking good soundtrack, and B, um, it's cheap. Uh, you know, so you can't really kind of, again, let's not be overly critical of, of the film. It is, after all, an exploitation film designed for uh, 2 and, and let's be honest with you, if you're selling it as a, you know, you get fighting and it's sexy, you know, they're, they're, they're not exactly trying to, you know, this isn't fucking, this isn't a new Scorsese movie, you know what I mean? Is it entertaining though? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a good, exciting, interesting exploitation film. It's trashy, but it's short. It doesn't doesn't feel overly long. It's seventy seven minutes long. It is. Uh, it's you know, it's fun. Like a lot of the Corman stuff at that time, it does exactly what you wanted to do. So you know, it's um, they were experts in achieving the expectations that you would expect on a film that is that kind of trash and providing to a point what you want. 
Um, now, whether or not you know you're particularly delighted with, <laughs> you know that kind of thing, that's up to you. But as a as a late night uh, straight, you know, VHS treat, I can certainly understand the allure of a firecracker. But yeah, I mean, let's be let's also be honest. The uh, the fight is not up to the standard you'd expect from you know a Hong Kong classic. Uh, you know, you can't put it up against um, a lot of other um, martial arts films at the time. So indeed, what you see is a lot of people moving around our lead actress and kind of you know, jumping and make, trying to make her look as good as possible. So kind of like uh, basically trying to sell her a lot. Um, you know, in a, using a, a wrestling terminology, you know, trying to just trying to sell the, the moves and the fighting as good as possible. I mean, unfortunately, you can see a bit of that in the film, but nonetheless, you know, a bit of silliness on a on a cold autumn night. Let's not get too uh, carried away. And and, th- and there's also uh, I always have a, a bit of a soft spot for uh, for films like this, which uh, are almost unrepentedly uh, late seventies, early eighties, and uh, trashy as fuck, you know. If you want to get hold of it, um, it does pop, pop up on YouTube a bit. I don't know if it's up there at the moment. Uh, and I don't want to... Well, I don't know when you're listening to it, so I don't want to say, oh, it's on YouTube, because it might not be by the time you get around to it. You know, people are still listening to Video Nasties from, like, four years ago. So, yeah, it's there. But there is a, a Shout Factory uh, DVD from the US, Region 1, which is uh, free movies. So you can see Firecracker, TNT Jackson i.e. the better version of Firecracker and Too Hot to Handle as well and that is very little it's like you know, $18 or something like that so good trip good, good, again good late night triple bill for you to enjoy a room for me she hadn't been around for weeks sounds like you keep pretty close tabs on her He asks what can teach you that you still do not know. Our niece. Why do you wish to learn our niece? My knowledge of the martial arts would not be complete without it. Ah! 
me please do. My email address is vidyanastypodcast at gmail.com. My Twitter is at orange underscore monkey. And you can go to the website, vidyanastypodcast.com, or you can go to the uh, lasthorrorpodcast.com, uh, where there is a mad amount of, uh, of stuff up there uh, for you to, to take a look at if you wish. Uh, I'd just like to take the apology, this moment to apologise. Uh, I've done something I try not to do, which is take a big old chunk of time off, uh, just out of the blue. Um, I know people who've probably listened to the last horror spotted this trend before. It doesn't mean I'm finishing. I know if, if you heard me say that before as well. Um, basically, um, I have a finite amount of time. Obviously, everyone does, and uh, I need to find new ways of getting a little bit more time so I can do this to a standard that is listenable <laughs> basically and, and entertaining um, so I've not been able to kind of keep that momentum going with all the things I've been doing including running and other work and, and that kind of thing work's been very busy again so I've, I've kind of eased off the gas however I promise you I will get back into some kind of cadence uh, and we'll get it we'll get them out regularly again um, felt quite bad about not kind of doing it I do enjoy doing them so it's not like I'm you know stop because I don't like it it's uh, just ensuring there's you know a few hours to record it and a few hours to to, to edit it and you know the research and the watching of the film again and all that kind of stuff you need to do so you, I can confidently just plonk myself down and ramble for a period of time and then build a podcast out of that which is how it's done for me anyway um, I know people feel lots of people do their own podcasts in lots of different ways but very me is very much sitting as I am now on my couch with uh, last night's baseball on uh, and the background uh, just rambling about a film I watched about six weeks ago now um, so apologies for that anyway next week we're doing a film you might have heard of it it's a very 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 little known film called Night of the Living Dead which I have covered numerous times before but uh I will find a way of uh, doing it again, <laughs> basically. Anyway, till then, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. I have never seen a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, you've never seen one. I actually don't need to see visually. What I know is in that film.